Well, we are glad you're here with us this morning. Um, I'm not sure if it's okay if I preach in this or not, or if it would be too distracting for people, um, or if I should just just go ahead and shed one layer. Um, I can't believe this came in your size. I know. What kind of mannequin did you rip that off of? I'll tell you what. Alignment? Tri- triple extra large right there. It felt... It does that. You were right, though, Jerome. I haven't worn a lot of women's clothing in my life, but um, the uh, the riding up factor in the back is a little strange. I feel like that every time I bend over, that uh, my jockey thing will be showing up here in the back. So I'm going to leave that off, and uh, and we'll go with it from there. Um, do me a favor. This morning, I need you to open up to the book of John, book of John, chapter one, and uh, today we're going to be continuing our Advent conspiracy. Uh, it's been a four week series that we're going through. This is our third week that we're in it. And what it's all about is choosing to do Christmas differently. Choosing to do Christmas differently. And really just unplugging from the, the craziness that is. Unplugging from all the craziness that, that surrounds us. And the culture ha- has pushed uh, a consumeristic view on us, really. Um, it, it's funny, I was listening to a guy talk this week, and he was asking how Santa Claus got his outfit, how, how he came across being all red and white. Does anybody in here know where, where the actual, th- this description that we have of Santa Claus came from? Coca-Cola. It was actually a Coca-Cola ad back in the late 40s, early 50s that actually uh, had him drawn up that way, and that is what has stuck. So if you really want to wrap the fact that Christianity, or I mean uh, Christmas, has become a consumer-driven market. You could say that Coca-Cola has created the the current Santa Claus, which is kind of a funny thing to think about. But the first week, what we did is we we went through, we had a special guest speaker, and he talked about who is Jesus and why we should worship him fully, why we should put everything into him and and focus on him this Christmas season. Then the the last week, if you were with us, uh, we talked about spending less. Spending less. And as we talked about spending less, it wasn't necessarily about not spending at all, but it was about throttling back just a little bit on all the gifts that we're giving. And maybe just one less gift, save that money and give it to somebody that's in need or give something to somebody that is in need. And as we talked about that, we're now going into give more. And you might be thinking, okay, wait a second, how can you say spend less one week and give more the next week? Let's break it down. Giving is obviously a part of the season. For a lot of people, the best part of the season. There's some people in this room right here, right now, that you are gift givers. That is what God has blessed you with. You love that part. You love buying gifts, and you love seeing people open up those gifts. And some of you are glad those people are in your family because they give you the best gifts. And you're excited about that, and you're excited to get to their present. And, you know... What I want you to do, how many of you guys have an outline? Have an outline inside your bulletin there? If you have an outline, if you don't, uh, just pull out a piece of paper. I want you to take 20, 30 seconds. Write down three gifts you were given last year. Three gifts you were given last year. Not that you gave, but three gifts you were given last year. Write them down. 20, 30 seconds. Don't have a Jeopardy theme song, but I can hum it for you if you'd like.
Some of you are wearing that sweater this morning, so you can write that down. Thank you, Aunt Sarah, or whatever. You know. <laughs> three gifts. How many of you guys were able to come up with three gifts in about 20 to 30 seconds? Man, you guys are good. Because I've been thinking about this all week, and I honestly could not think of three gifts that I've been given. I couldn't think of it. I, I tried. I, I racked my brain going, okay, no, I didn't know. Um. Now I can think of gifts that I gave. And even funnier was I could think about gifts that I was given over the period of time of growing up. Um, ugly sweaters and things like that. The, the lame gifts, those are the ones that tend to stand out, stand out in my mind the most. Um, we were actually talking on Wednesday night at youth group about ugly Christmas sweaters, because they have an ugly Christmas sweater thing they're going to be doing at, uh, at youth with their Christmas party this Wednesday night. And um, we were talking about it, and I said, you know, when I was in sixth grade, I got a white sweatshirt from my aunt. Actually, my sister and I got matching ones, and it said Holiday Bear on it. It had a, a fuzzy um, bear right in the middle of it with a little stocking cap and a little scarf, and I had to wear it. And I lived in Phoenix, so getting a sweatshirt on top of it all was a bad idea to begin with. But I had to wear it the first day back to school. Okay? Talk about brutal. My sister and I matching, wearing a fuzzy bear sweatshirt, and I was in sixth grade. Sixth grade. I mean, guys, you think about that just for a second. If you were in sixth grade, what would have happened? I'm glad I was bigger than most kids because nobody beat me up, but it's a very good possibility that that sweatshirt was going to go home with a blood stain on it. I mean, it was It was terrible. That was a gift I was given. That one stands out in my mind. Another gift I was given right around that same time was a crossword puzzle book. You know, some of you might, that might be a great gift for you. But until I found the $20 that was hidden inside of it, it was a terrible gift. And then I found the 20 bucks. and I'm like, yeah, oh, I am so sorry that I gave you that. Oh, thanks. You know that, that you guys have all practiced it, I'm sure. The, the, the thank you very much, but not really thank you kind of thing. Those are the things that tend to stick out in our minds. And, you know, it amazes me that we can't really think about uh, that many of our gifts over the span of time. And now, those of you guys who are able to raise your hands, I'm proud of you. Maybe you got like 20 gifts and three was easy to come up with. But when I think of having to get gifts or having to give gifts, sometimes it seems like it's just more of an obligation that somebody got you something so you have to get them something. Or something, somebody got you something really nice last year, so you have to follow it up this year. And we think about that. And you know, the present, the present sometimes is, is what we get wrapped up in. The gift, or, or, or how good it was, how bad it was. And that is not why I'm challenging today to give more. I'm actually going to challenge you today to give a different present. A different present, and what it is, is the gift of presence, not presence. The gift of presence, not presence. And when I say that, I want you to see it in this, this way. The gift of presence. The gift of presence. Because, you know, I'd be willing to bet, I'd be willing to bet right now that the possibility of the gifts that you remembered, you could probably remember who gave them to you. But even more so, of the things of your entire past, of all the things you've been ever given, the things that you probably remember the most are the ones that came with something attached. You got a baseball glove, and your dad went out and played catch with you afterwards. You got a Red Ryder BB gun, and your dad went out shooting things afterwards. You know, whatever it might be, there might be something attached, and I'm saying that because those are the things that I remember. 
But maybe that's what it is. And it's the gift of presence more than the present itself. It's the gift of time and experience shared. And the reason why I want to challenge you to do that this Christmas, to change up maybe just a little bit of what what the thinking is, is because that's exactly what God gave. That's exactly what God gave. You think about God, and, and we know that the gift of Jesus Christ brought us the gift of eternal life. And that is the most amazing gift we could ever be given. But you know what else he gave in, in, you know, in conjunction with that? He gave us the gift of presence. He gave us the gift of presence. As a matter of fact, I had you open up to the book of John chapter 1. Now, a lot of times, people, when we, we talk about the Christmas story, we, we kind of focus on maybe Matthew and the genealogy, or we talk about Luke and the, the whole aspect of, of the wise men and the shepherds and the angels coming and all of the things with Mary and Joseph. But today I want to look at John. And John's view of the birth of Christ goes just a little bit further back. Actually, it goes a lot further back than, than the actual birth time. And it's actually found in John chapter 1, verse 1. Would you read it with me? It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, And the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Now, it's obvious in this passage here that the Word is Jesus. The Word is Jesus. John is letting us know that even though that Jesus was born to Mary and the the whole idea while we celebrate Christmas, that He was actually existing before that. He had existed the whole time. As a matter of fact, He was there in the beginning with God. He was the Creator. When we think about it, You have to picture Mary holding a baby, and that baby was her creator. Kind of a weird way to think about it, but if you really picture it, Jesus created Mary, who and then gave birth to him. When we talk about Jesus coming to the earth in human form, there's this word that they use, it's called incarnation. Incarnation. It's, it's the incarnation of the Spirit. It's not a word that's actually found in the Bible, but maybe you've heard of it. Maybe you've actually heard it in other ways with reincarnation. And they talk about, you know, when somebody comes back to life. Well, the idea of incarnation, it actually comes from a Latin word of incarno, or incarno. And we actually get another word from Spanish from that same carno, which is carne, which is found in a lot of Mexican dishes that I like to eat. Okay, does anybody in here, I took German in high school, which was a bad mistake, living in Arizona, moving to New Mexico, and I took German. I should have taken Spanish. It would have been a much wiser choice for me. Does anybody know what carne means? It means what? Flesh or meat. So you take in carno, and it means in flesh or in meat form. When we think about Jesus coming down from heaven, leaving Everything glory, you know, all the glories of heaven, getting to be at God's feet, getting to be at his right-hand side, hanging out with angels and all that stuff, and coming down here, a little bit of a culture shock probably, similar to like if I said, hey, for the next 30, 40 years, I need you to move to Bangladesh, okay? That's what I just need for you to do. And you'd be like, okay, great, I'll do that. That sounds good. It'll all be about, you know, it'd be a culture shock. A little change took place. And he came from all that was and became in flesh, to right here. He came in flesh to right here. As a matter of fact, verse 14 says it in John chapter 1. He says, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. 
We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And you know what I love about that verse? Even more so than the fact that it says that Jesus came and put on flesh, kind of put on his human earth suit. And instead of that being the main thing, but it says the fact that he dwelt among us. He dwelt among us. Because I think Jesus probably could have come down and done it really fast, came down as a man, did what he needed to do, took care of business, wiped us all out if he had to, moved on. But instead, he came down as a baby, and he made his dwelling among us. Actually, the Greek word says that he pitched his tent among us. That he wasn't just a nomad wandering through, but he took 33, 34 years of human life, of birth and growing up as a teenager, and dealing with parents, and or vice versa, parents having to deal with him, although if you're Jesus and not sinning, it probably was a really easy kid. Um, the whole living even into his 20s, until he decided to start ministry. And then he was here, and he was ministering among us. And he pitched his tent among us. And I think John writes about it because John got to spend time with him. John got to spend time with him, as as did the others, and they wrote about it. And the good thing is, is because they got to spend time with him, they got to know him. And he got to know them. And that's what the gift of presence is all about. Because I bet that Jesus did some really, really cool stuff that isn't ever recorded in scriptures. But the time that he spent with them is. And the time that he went and he taught them is. And those things obviously made, obviously made an impact. Spend less and give more presence this year. That's the challenge. Because sometimes our gifts, they get forgotten. Anybody have any idea what this Friday is? December 21st, 2012. Does that ring a bell for anybody? It is the first day of winter. It's also the last day of the earth, if the Mayans are correct. If the Mayans are correct, and I don't believe they are, so don't think that, hey, Pastor Matt preached on the Mayans coming. You know, that, that wasn't it. If the Mayans are correct... This is our last Sunday at Paragon Church. You don't have to come on the 22nd, Saturday, to help us set up because nobody's going to be here. Okay, that, it's okay. Unless we have generators running everything, it'll be great. But what I need you to think about for just a second, let's just say the Mayans are correct, and this is the end of the world. Tomorrow or this afternoon, are you going to rush to the mall and get that 80-inch flat-screen TV? Well, the guys probably are thinking, "Eh, you know, I mean, it's a good way to spend the rest of the week. Um, (laughs) But if you really think about it, we're not going to rush out and buy gifts, and we're not going to rush out and do that if you were only given a week left to live. Would you spend it on buying things, or would you spend it with people? Would you spend it building those relationships, those relationships that will soon end here on earth? Obviously, if you've watched the news at all in the last couple of days, you know about what happened in Newtown, Connecticut, and the 20 children that were murdered, and the adults that were murdered as well. And I'm not a crier. I'm not one who gets all choked up very easily. But as I watched the footage unfold, and as I got the breaking news things coming across my desk and on my phone and stuff, 
I had no words. All I could think of was the evil that is in this world and the downfall that this world has taken and, and the fact that Satan wants to steal and he wants to kill and he wants to destroy and that is one way he's going to do it is, is do horrible things like that that just cut away at who we are and cut away at the society that we live in. And it, it killed me. And Christy and I were sitting on the couch talking about it. And one of the things that, that she said that I didn't even think about, but I was like, wow, that is, that is almost a little too true. How many of those parents got their kids to school that morning and were like, hurry, 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 come on, come on, come on, come on. Let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. come on. Get out of the car, I got to go to work. Because they all live in that town so they can drive 90 miles to work or whatever it is. How many of them rushed and rushed and rushed all the morning long saying, you're taking too long getting dressed, you're taking too long eating, you're taking too long, we got to go, we got to, 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 we got to. And now, they would give anything to have one more minute. When they were trying to rush him and push him out of the car, now they would do anything to take him back into the car. The gift of presence. The gift of presence. Those parents and many other parents who have lost children, children who have lost parents, spouses that have lost their partner, I'd be willing to bet they would trade everything that's underneath the Christmas tree for just a little more time. And I thought about that this week. Is not that the message had that plan to go along with it, but it fits. To give more presence. If you look at Matthew's account of the birth of Jesus in Matthew chapter 1, we learn one of Jesus' names, and it's predicted back in the book of Isaiah, and that was Emmanuel. Does anybody know what Emmanuel means? God with us. God with us. You know, if you ever think about the fact that he came down to be with us. So even though Matthew looks deep into the human genealogy and John looks into the spiritual celestial realm of the genealogy all the way back to the beginning, they both focus on one thing, and that is the fact that God came to be with us. That God himself came to be with us. And, you know, as you, as you think about that, and you read the Gospels, and I don't know how many of you guys have ever had a chance to read through the Gospels, and I'm challenging you to at least read through the birth story this Christmas time as, as we go through it. In the book of Luke, if you choose Matthew, if you choose John, whatever one you want to go with, but you read through that, that Christmas story, and then you read through the rest of Jesus' life, from that birth to the time that he dies on the cross, even to the time that he comes back, that he raises again, he comes back, and he walks among the earth with, with people and challenges them. Tell me once when he was in a hurry. If you've ever read through any of the historical accounts of Jesus' life, through G Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, when was he ever in a hurry? I can't remember any times because, you know, as I look, looked at it, he didn't, leave, leave, he didn't live a fast-paced life. He didn't say, hey, guys, we've got to hurry up and get here. We've got to hurry up and get there. As a matter of fact, he would sneak away at times and pray to his heavenly Father. He would take times to hang out with his friends that we'll see here in just a moment. He'll, he would take times to teach the disciples. If somebody called out his name, he would go and help them. Whether it was the woman as he was walking through the crowds that touched his robe, he would stop and turn and say, somebody just touched my robe. 
Who was it? Or when he stopped and he said, you know what, I'm going to talk with this hated tax collector by the name of Zacchaeus. Or healing the blind beggars. Or going to the paralytics. Or whatever it was, he would stop what he was doing and spend time with people. He stopped. As a matter of fact, when kids were running around making noise as he was teaching and the crowds were trying to chase the kids away and say, get, get, go away. He said, no, no, no. You guys, stop. Have the kids come to me. And he hung out with them. How often is it that we pattern that in our lives? I've got to be honest with you, in mine, it's not very often. Because I'm always going, always moving, always doing something, always having something else in my mind. The next thing that I've got to think about, once I get done with this one, even if I get done with this one, it's always the next thing. You know, Jesus tells us a story. Or actually, Luke tells us a story about Jesus where he's hanging out with some friends. His friends' names are Lazarus, Martha, and Mary. You've probably heard this story before. It's all about hurrying and that, but I think there's something that's important that we need to see here. And and if you haven't heard the story before, tell us about Martha, who was in the kitchen when Jesus arrives, and she's making dinner, and Mary just sits down and kind of listens to Jesus. It's found in the book of Luke, chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. I want to read it for you. It says, And Jesus and his disciples were on their way. He came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he had said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. I think that right there is a synopsis of our Christmas lives. God just wants us to come to him and realize what he has done, and we are distracted by all the preparations to get ready for him to come, to get ready to celebrate his day. So Martha's in the kitchen doing all the work, and Mary's just hanging out with Jesus, and after a while, Martha starts getting upset, just like any of us would. If we're the only one working, everybody else is in hanging out, we're going to start clanging pots and making noise and trying to make a big scene. The thing is, is that nobody pays attention to Martha. So Martha decides to take care of herself. She goes in, picking up in the second part of chapter, four, uh, chapter 10, verse 40. So she came in, and she asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. It's so unfair. I mean, it's obvious that she be, she be in help. I mean, it's Christmas time. You're here. We're all supposed to be celebrating. It's supposed to be a big party. I shouldn't be doing everything. Why don't we do it together, and then we can all sit together. And look what Jesus' response is in chapter 10 of verse 41 here. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, You are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better. Not so much what is right. Some people get this story and think that it's a right and wrong, that what, the fact that Martha is doing something, that is wrong. It's not wrong. It's just that Mary has chosen something that is better, and it will not be taken away from her. It will not be taken away away from her. So what's the better thing that Mary chose that Martha was sacrificing? Time with Jesus. Time. A relationship. We get so caught up in everything else that we skip the relationship. Even though we say we need the gift of presence. The gift of presence doesn't mean that if I'm in the kitchen doing this and you're out on the computer doing that, that's not a gift of presence. That is not time together. And you know what? I need to learn that lesson myself. But Mary chose something which was better, and that was a relationship. She didn't want to miss out on the opportunity to have a relationship 
with the Son of God. She didn't want to miss out on that. In the process of his teaching, I think we get a perspective from the creator of life. Okay, this is Jesus. We already talked about the fact that he was there in the beginning and he created it. The word was with God and the word was God in the beginning. The creator of life gives us perspective on what the life is that he created. And it says this. It says, don't be in a frenzy. Don't be in a hurry. And give time. Share experiences. Slow down enough to relate. One of the things we celebrate at Christmas time is that Jesus chose to pitch his tents among us. He chose to be one of us. He chose to live as one of us. And he chose to spend time with us and offer that gift of presence. And in all honesty, of all the gifts I've ever been given, the ones that stand out to me the most are the ones that were relational gifts. The relational gifts. Time really is the greatest currency of love, not money. Time is the greatest currency of love, not money. If you think about it for a minute, if time and not money is the greatest currency of love, how should that or how would that affect the way we do Christmas? How would it do that? How many of you, and you don't have to raise your hands because maybe you have a, a relative sitting close by, how many of you are somewhat dreading Christmas because you have relatives coming to your house or having to go to theirs? Okay? I, I just watched, I shouldn't, I will. I'm not, I shouldn't, but I will. One of my favorite Christmas movies is Four Christmases. It's not exactly the most positive Christmas movie, but it is one of my favorites about a family having to go visit four different families because their parents are divorced, so there's four different families. They've got to squeeze it all into one day. And it's just... They're dreading it the whole time. And all I think about is, that's the way I was. I couldn't, I couldn't stand going over because you had to act nice to people and you had to smile for your cousins that drove you insane and your aunts and uncles that gave you horrible gifts and, you know, those kind of, and it was just like, oh, I don't want, I, I'd rather just play with the few things that I got and stay home and I'm good. I'll, I'll be all right. I don't need a crossword puzzle book. You know, that's, that's the thinking that comes across. But yet, when Jesus says we need to slow down and share experiences, how much more does it mean than a gift bought without much thought? How much more does it mean to share that experience? Our culture is so busy and we're quickly replacing face-to-face time with technology. I can't tell you how many times I've gone into a restaurant and seen a family somewhere in the restaurant that all of them are on their phones at the same time. Kids have their headphones in. They're doing whatever they're doing. Mom and dad are doing this. Maybe they're texting each other. I don't know. And it's just an easier way to communicate. But I've, it blows me away. And we've taken face-to-face time with, with Facebook or Twitter or, you know, texting or emailing or whatever those things are. All these things have replaced genuine one-on-one time. And I think when God is challenging us to give more, he's saying, you know what, we need to... Give more to each other in the, in the way of presence. Give less to the people who don't care about us and give more to the people who do. Because how much time do you give to work? And I think I've mentioned this before, but we, we give so much time to work that, that we're so afraid that we're going to lose our jobs. Well, if they cared about you, you wouldn't lose your job if you just gave a little bit less. But if you don't give more, they're going to they're gonna cut you. you know, uh, why? Why do we give so much to them and not to our own families? So I'm inviting you this year as, as we're going through this Advent conspiracy really to join the conspiracy of giving the gift of presence 
presence this year. Giving of yourself. You know, there's so many times we, we talk about the, the memories that we have and, and how things have come along and, and the things that people have done for us. And, and Jerome and I were talking actually this week. And as, as we were talking, um, I just asked him, you know, kind of how he came to know the Lord. And it was through, you know what, Jerome, I'm going to let you share it. Why don't you come on up here? Um, and I want to give Jerome just a second to, to share about how Christ came into his life and how it, it kind of came down because people gave. So I'm going to turn it over to you, Jerome. Well, kind of ridiculous sharing in this outfit. <laughs> so, but if it's not too distracting. Um, I brought a picture recently into the office, and it's a picture of my great-grandmother and me. And uh, the reason I brought it into my office is it was me, and, and I was, I want to say, maybe six or seven. And I'm, uh, for those of you who uh, do not know me, I come from the Pueblo of Jemez. And uh, it was during one of the harvest dances that I'm all dressed up, blue, I look like a Smurf, and my grandma's standing there, and... Um, But I brought it into the office to set it on my desk because it is a reminder to me. And as I was looking in the book of Hebrews, Hebrews 13, verse 7, it says, Remember your leaders who taught you the word of God and think of all the good that has come from their lives and follow the example of their faith. Now, my grandmother became a Christian because her mother, my great-great-grandma, taught her to become a Christian. My great-great-grandma didn't know how to read or write, but a couple of missionaries came and, and, and came into the Pueblo and decided to share, and my great-great-grandma became a believer in Jesus, even though she couldn't understand the Bible, and she taught my great-grandma, Andrea, that she needed to be a believer in Jesus, and that whatever was in the Bible was the truth, and so my great-grandma became a believer in Jesus, and that at that particular time it wasn't very acceptable because in native american spirituality jesus was not acceptable you could talk about him but to be completely devoted to him was another thing and it got to the point where the governor and officials of societies took my grandmother because she was constantly talking about this Jesus and sharing about this Jesus. And they called them hallelujahs at the time. Um, and they horsewhipped her in one of the houses of worship in the, in, in, the, in the Pueblo. And they told her, you need to stop talking about this faith. And she replied, I can't deny my Jesus. I will continue to share. And from that, her son, my great uncle Bill, also became a pastor, and in the like manner, he came back to Hamas and opened up the Presbyterian church there in the Pueblo and began having services, and during the services, he would tell me that they would throw rocks through the windows, and as they were leaving the service, they would be spit on and yelled at and told that they were traitors for believing in this white God. And he continued to go on and, and to preach and to, to host a church. And in like the same manner as my grandma, the governor and the officials took him into one of the houses of worship there. And they began to have this long drawn out, I 
just kind of a case, building a case against them, against all these Jesus believers that were starting to pop up in the Pueblo. And, uh, and one story that he told me of, of that particular day was he was being led to use the restroom after one of these meetings and he was being taken by a couple of guys who were guarding him. And during this time, one of the men told him, you are my friend, Bill. You've always been my friend, but you need to run because they're going to possibly kill you. And my Uncle Bill was like, you know what? I, I can't. I can't just run from this faith. And so on his way back, going there, he sees one of the council member's sons. And he tells me, he goes, something, obviously God revealed it to him, but he said, we're never going to see this guy again. And he told my auntie. And later on that evening, as they're in their meeting a gentleman runs back into the council meeting and tells that leader that his son had just been killed that afternoon. And the council leader said, we need to leave these hallelujahs alone. This meeting is over. Every time we do something to them, something happens to our people. And in that, that is all basically just to sum up the fact that when we are faithful to what God is doing, we will see God do these amazing things and not to say that it's something that we should rejoice in somebody who is persecuting Christians and they get killed is something that we should be happy about. But the power of God is revealed. And in that, even unbelievers had no option but to say, this God of theirs has ramifications for us when we mess with him. And so I brought that picture because it reminds me of the faith, the groundwork that was laid because of a couple of people that were faithful to come and deliver the message to an Indian group of people. And from that, I came. And it's a reminder of me to how I need to continue to be faithful and not just take this gospel lightheartedly, but to remember not only what Jesus has done for me, but also how he's empowered my family and enabled me to become a Christian. And so those people were willing to give more of them their time to come and to be a part of these Indian people's lives. And my grandmother was willing to share all these stories with me. And, and, and so, yes, the gift of presence. It wasn't enough just to send money to these Indian peoples that hopefully somebody would share. But they went and delivered and, and spent time with them in order that somebody would come to faith in Jesus. And so as a result, you know, here I am. So that's a little bit of a story about where I come from and where my family's faith comes from. Well, thank you for sharing that with us. You know, it, it really is an interesting thing to me, uh, the way that God works. Because I would be willing to bet that if, obviously those two missionaries probably are, are no longer alive, that was, that was a long time ago. But they probably never thought to themselves, well, if we just invest in this woman who can't read and can't write and explain to her about the Bible, and then that will pass down through generations to the point where there'll be a uh, Uncle Bill who is a minister, and there'll be a, uh, a, a young boy who, who grows up in the faith and, and becomes a, a worship leader. You know, those things probably weren't things that were thought about, but what they did is they gave. They gave time. And, you know, they didn't just throw money at it. Now, maybe I'm sure there was people supporting them. There was money being given towards this mission, but it wasn't about that. It was about going and, and, and bringing people to God. You know, if you look on the, in the bottom of your, of your thing there, you'll see that uh, there's a, a blank versus blank with Mark chapter 12 written underneath it. 
And I got to thinking about this passage this week with, uh, with Christmas coming up and, and a lot of the things that, that we have a tendency to do, uh, even with our Christmas service. I'm really excited about our Christmas service. The, the uh, parade last night around the city center was great. We were able to pass out invite cards. But is there a difference between inviting and bringing? Is there a difference between just merely saying, hey, why don't you come versus saying, let me take you with me? There's a huge difference, and it's that gift of presence. It's about bringing it together. You know, whether that be to a Sunday morning or whether that be to the Christmas service, in all honesty, next year I was telling Christy, I said, uh, for 2013, we're going to be doing this all-in series. I was telling her, I said, you know what, what I want to do is I want to challenge every person to buy a chair, to buy one more chair to go on the rack or, or to be set up on a Sunday morning. In the process of buying that chair, you fill that chair next year. You buy the chair and you fill the chair. Because my goal by this time next year is to have 300 people in our services. And I know some people are like, well, that's just numbers. Why? What are you talking about numbers for? Well, every number has a face. Every face has a story. Every story has a soul. And we have to remember that. And I want people in here to hear about the gospel. And how is it going to happen? Is it going to happen just because we passed out invite cards? God can use that. But can it happen even more so if we give the gift of presence and make a relational time about connecting with somebody, about connecting people together with the Holy Savior, Holy God. And whether that be us having to go out and eat lunch with them afterwards, you know, heaven forbid that we have to eat with somebody else, you know, I don't know, whatever it might be, but, but a way to reach out and make that gift of presence, you know, and I wrote down a handful of other ideas of what you could do, even right now, about sharing the gift of presence. I'm not a big coffee drinker. As a matter of fact, I don't drink coffee, so that'd be, make me not a big coffee drinker at all. But those of you who are, why don't you give a pound of coffee with a string attached to it? Literally tape a string to the pound of coffee. And that string that's attached, you can explain to the person you're giving to as a gift and say, the string attached to this is this. In order to drink this coffee, you and I have to drink it together. And you have to share your story with me, and I get to share my story with you. We get to spend time together and build a relationship and give the gift of presence. How about come together as a family or a group of friends or as a class and do a ring and run or what we used to call a ding-dong ditch? And find a family in need. You guys have to know somebody that is in need. Put together a basket, whether it be of Walmart gift cards or food or clothing or even just notes of encouragement, whatever it might be. Put it in a basket Ding-dong ditch and you're gone. Hide in a bush somewhere and see the reaction when they open the door and they see there's a basket or something on, the, on, the, on their porch for them. There's so many different things we can do. I, I, like I said, I wrote a bunch of them down. How about volunteer together? This time of year, everything is looking for Volunteers to serve meals, to do this, to do that, whatever it might be. Get together as a family, as friends, as an individual, whatever. Hang out with people. If you're hanging out with your kids and you're showing them what volunteering is all about, well, guess how what that's going to do? That's going to build a lasting memory of what volunteering should be as they grow up and they become older. Make a scrapbook together. Find old pictures and talk about them as you're making the scrapbook. And if you're not crafty like me, do it digitally. Get on the computer and, and find those. Scan them in. Make a, make a blog, whatever it might be. Somehow to, to kind of just find out about the past and talk about it. 
Take cookies to a nursing home. I'll tell you what, last Saturday, that was great. When we got to go over to the nursing home, and I'll tell you, this week, we got a letter from one of the, um, one of the people that is living in that home. Her husband sent us a letter and said basically the fact that I can't believe that people would do something like this for somebody in my family. That right there in itself is, is what it's all about, about sharing God and sharing God's love. Act out the Christmas story. Get some families together. Get some friends together and, and make it fun. Make your kids, they love to dress up. They all have dress-up boxes. Some of you like to dress up. I mean, I will dress up like a, I don't know, green woman today. Um, you know, have fun. Act it out. Experience it. Love it. Take a gift to a neighbor that you have not met yet. We live in a society of air conditioners and garage doors. We do not get to connect with our, fr- with our friends as much or our neighbors as much as we should. Go to a cheap or free sporting event together with a group of people. Just choose any team you want and go nuts and be obnoxious. Just have fun. Because you know what's going to happen if you take your kids, if I took my kids and we did that? They'd ask when we're going to do it again. That would be a memory they would remember instead of worrying about all the things they're not going to. The point of all this is to carve out time and give the best gift you can. And that's the gift of presence. So many of us are more like Martha than we're like Mary, and we get so busy doing things that really aren't as important as we think they are. Give the gift of presence. When I think about that name, Emmanuel, God with us, maybe we should change that to where we are dad with us or mom with us, or brother with us, or sister with us, or daughter, or whatever it might be. And once again, that's not just being in the same physical location, but it's actually about relating. It's very possible not to give the gift of presence and not really be with those that you love the most, at least not in a meaningful, significant, memorable way. So my challenge to you today is to change that. My challenge to you is to change that, to pass along stories, to share Just like Jerome's grandmother shared it down the line, the great-grandmother to great-great-grandmother on down all the way. To share. Share with each other. Share in experiences. Share in love for one another. Share in the stories of what brought you to where you're at. That's my challenge for you today. Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful for who you are. We're so thankful, God, that you shared with us the gift of presence. That you shared your son, Jesus Christ, You allowed him to come down from heaven. You allowed him to be our sacrifice. Because God, I I don't know what we'd be willing to give up in that way, but God, you gave up everything. Your one and only son. So that God, that we could have life. God, you are such an amazing God. come down here and put on flesh and live among us. God, help us to learn from your example as we celebrate Christmas this year. We pray it all in your name. Amen. I'm not sure if you know Jesus Christ, your personal Savior, if you know anything about Christmas. If you don't, I would love to talk to you just a little bit more. Explain to you a little bit more about why God came. About how the sin that was in our lives, that's in our lives, has separated us from Him and He wanted to have a relationship with us, so He sent His Son down here to die for us. Please, please, please do me a favor. 
If you do not know that, if you do not know Jesus Christ, your personal Savior, please come talk to me because I want to introduce you to him and what he's all about. I'm going to step back to the back while, uh, while Jerome takes it from here.